Well, today, I want to continue the series we started a couple weeks ago called Building a Daring Faith. And, and by the way, I want to thank so many of you uh, for your prayers while Stella and I were gone last week to do the uh, memorial service, memorial celebration of my mentor, uh, Dr. James A. Starks, who I ministered with in Dallas, Texas for many, many years. And uh, the prayers were answered. Everything went very, very well. The service went well. There were hundreds of people there, and uh, it was just a great reunion. And so thank you. And so many of you also sent us little emails and little text messages uh, affirming that you were thinking of us and praying for us, and that, that just meant so much to us. Thank you so much for being a loving church family and for loving us in a time of our need. So many of you, even today, uh, were very warm and said, hey, how did things go? And, 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 and thank you. It it's really feels wonderful to know that you're thinking of us and praying for us and caring for us. So last week, we kind of had a skip in the messages. But this series is so very, very important. If you're a guest today, I want you to know how important this series is. Now, why is it so important to those of us who are Christians, Christ followers? Well, our theme verse that we want everyone to memorize, by the way, is Hebrews 11.6 that says, and without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, it's a tough job that I have in this matter. I... I'm trying to get you to refocus your attention and your energy to understand what's really going on in your life and what your life is really about. And what it should be about, because the vast majority of here today have taken care of step one in your faith, and that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you haven't, you're going to have an opportunity to do that later in the service. But it said part two, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, I have a passion for you as your pastor, and that is for every one of you to arrive in heaven having positioned yourself to receive every reward that God wants to lavish on you. And trust me in this, he wants to lavish eternal rewards upon you. Now, all of that is determined by how we're living our life right now. Not whether or not we're getting to heaven, because that was determined by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And the Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So we don't earn our way to heaven. That comes through the grace of God, and we just believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He was the atoning sacrifice for sin. Now, once we have made that, once we have entered into that act of faith, then every one of us is on a journey. We're on a journey of preparation for what our eternal experience is going to be like. And this series is part of practically every series that we do here at the bridge of trying to help you get prepared for that, help you to arrive in heaven in such a way that, again, Jesus will have absolute freedom to lavish eternal rewards and opportunities upon you. Now, my challenge is, is that pretty much everything else in your life is making war against you living that out. 
Your, your busy work schedules and your social schedules and the culture, everything except what we do here in Bible studies and on Sunday morning at the bridge, everything else is warring against you buying into that and remembering that. Everything is trying you to distract you away from living a life that is characterized by preparing for eternity. Now, I've asked this once, and I'll ask it as long as the Lord allows me to be here. And I'll remind you this. How many believe that eternity is longer than 80 years? Huh? Can we agree to that? And a lot of us aren't going to make it to 80. Some of you have already passed that mark, and God bless you. But listen, we're talking about our eternal experience. We're talking about forever and ever and ever. And again, I cannot emphasize hard enough or passionately enough that how we're living our life right now is going to have a major impact on what that eternal experience is going to look like. And so I'm trying my best, and I will, as long as the Lord gives me breath and as long as the Lord allows me to be pastor here, to help you remember every week that life is preparation for eternity. And that there is an amazing eternity coming to you. Scripture says, I has not seen, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, nor has ear heard, nor has entered into the imagination of the heart the glories that God is preparing for those who love him. God has so much for you, and I don't want you to miss a bit of it. And so this is such an important series because right off the bat, as we think about that contemplation, that reality, Scripture says right off the bat that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we need, therefore, to be constantly working on our faith. And more specifically, you need to constantly be working on your faith. What does Jude say? In the New Testament, Jude one twenty says, but you, dear friends, build who? Build who? yourselves up in your most holy faith. And once again, I emphasize it to you, no one can do this for you. You have to do it for yourself. No matter how much somebody else loves you and is concerned about you, no matter how much I want you to get to heaven, positioned to receive all the eternal rewards God has to offer, I can't do it for you. What I can do is what I'm doing in this series and many of the other series that we do here at the bridge, is I'm trying to equip you. I'm trying to educate you to know what the Bible says about getting ready for that amazing experience. So the first week, actually it was the second week of the series, we talked about what does faith look like? Okay, it's, without it, it's impossible to please God. What does this faith thing look like? And we saw that it's believing when I don't see it, obeying when I don't understand it, persisting when I don't feel like it, giving when I don't have it, thanking God before I receive it, and trusting God if I don't get it. And we don't have time to repeat what all of those mean, but you can go online and listen to the message, or you can go to the resource center and you can get a CD, or at the end of the series we'll have the whole series in a package once again. But that's what it looks like. Now today... I want to talk about how God exercises your faith. Now, once God sees 
that you have a sincere desire to be a man, a woman of faith, and that you want to put yourself in this process of building your faith, building in this sense a daring faith, because to have faith today is a daring proposition. So God, once he sees that you really are serious about this, God's going to get involved in it because he wants to help you build your faith because he knows that is such an important part of his justification in your eternal reward package. So how does he do that? How does God exercise your faith? That's what we're going to talk about today. First of all, God exercises our faith through difficulties. Through difficulties. Look what Peter, one of the original disciples, in fact, the head of the the disciple band, said in his first New Testament manuscript that we call 1 Peter. He says in 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, he's speaking to believers now. He's speaking to Christ followers, not, not just the world in general. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. See, what Peter said, he said, are you having a difficulty today? Is there there's something in your life that it's, that's really challenging going on right now? Is there something that maybe is even a little painful right now? Well, here's what Peter's saying. He said, well, don't be surprised by that. Don't act like, well, what's gone wrong? What's happened? You know, God, he said, you shouldn't react that way. He says, don't think that that's strange. He's going to go on and say, because that is exactly what you should expect. Why? Because God exercises our faith through difficulties. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 48.10, speaking the mind of God. He says, see, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of what? Affliction. In the furnace of difficulties. He says, not like silver. What do you mean by that? He says, well, because when you refine silver, you get all the impurities out. And we understand as long as we're living in this world, we're never going to be refined like silver. We're never going to have all the impurities taken from us. We're, we're always going to be struggling. We're always going to be striving to, to be more Christ-like. But he says, but I've tested you, see. I've exercised your faith through the furnace of affliction, through the furnace of difficulties, Again, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verse 6 through 7, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He's rejoicing this. He says, although for this little while. Now, he's not speaking about the, the calendar or the watch. He's talking about this lifetime. He says, all right, for this little lifetime, you may have to suffer some trials, some difficulties. But he goes on to say, these have come so that your what, church? So that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, number one, and more importantly, and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, what's he saying? He's saying all this comes. This is why you should rejoice when difficulties enter your life. Because you understand that God is at work. Because God uses difficulties to exercise your faith. And he does that so that your faith may be proved genuine and so that when you cross the finish line of heaven, remember we looked back at at 2 Timothy 4 when Paul says at the end of his life, I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished the race. 
Therefore, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness that the judge will award me on that day. So Paul got it. He was racing for those eternal rewards, for that crown of righteousness. And so that's what Peter's saying now. He's saying, as we respond with faith in our difficulties, ultimately, what's going to happen is when we get to heaven, we'll be glorified with Jesus. In other words, our life will be celebrated. Our faith will be rewarded. That's what he's saying. So how should we respond then through the difficulties in our life that we're all going to have? James, half-brother of Jesus, said this way in his New Testament letter, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith, see how important this is over and over again, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Not lacking anything for what? For your heavenly arrival. So that you grow up. So that you don't, you don't remain an infant in your faith during this life. So that you mature. You grow up. So that when you arrive at your eternal destination, which is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and ever you'll be ready. You'll be prepared. And Jesus will have absolute justice to reward you, and to give you eternal opportunities. Remember, when we get to eternity, we're not floating around playing harps, folks. We're going to live in, on the new earth, and we will have opportunities. We'll have responsibilities. And all that is determined right now during this life. So God first exercises our faith through difficulties. Second, God exercises our faith through demands. Through demands. Get this. There are some 1050 commands in the New Testament alone that believers are supposed to obey. 1050 just in the New Testament. Now, some of those seem very unreasonable. Demands like that we should forgive those who offend us, not seven times as Peter asked. But Jesus responded 70 times 7, and he wasn't trying to be exact again, but over and over again. In other words, that we should be a people as believers in Jesus Christ who are characterized by forgiving others. How about what he tells us to do with our enemies? I mean, those who really are out to get us and to really abuse us, those who are really trying to, to bring about our downfall, our destruction. He says, we're supposed to love them. That just doesn't make sense, does it? Why would we love those who are so abusive and so hateful towards us? Because that's how we prove that we're sons and daughters of God. It's one of the royal families. It's one of the divine family values is forgiveness. It, that just doesn't seem reasonable. That's just one example. It doesn't seem convenient sometimes. I mean, what does Jesus say? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all this other stuff that we worry about in life will be added. So he says, seek first God's kingdom. That means whatever we do in everything we do include God. 
and include this journey that we're on towards our eternal rewards. Well, that, that's just not convenient. Everything? You mean when I go to work? Yeah, when you go to work. You mean when, I, when, I, when I'm at the restaurant? Yeah, when you're at the restaurant. You mean when I'm just at home and finally chilling out? Yes, at home, chilling out. Everywhere. How about things like Hebrews when it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing it. Say, well, you mean I need to come to church every week? Yeah. Yeah, but every week? Yeah. Not only that, yeah, you got to be involved in a life group. And not only that, but you ought to be involved in Bible study. And not only that, but you ought to be involved in some ministry of the church. So I don't have time for that. Yeah, it's pretty inconvenient, isn't it? But that's what God says. Listen, God says that he has given you both human talents and spiritual gifts. And he says they're given so that we might use them for what? The common good. In other words, that we might be a blessing to others. See, life isn't about us. It's about others. And that can really be inconvenient. That put demands on our time and demands on our energies, demands on our relationships. See, but that's how God exercises our faith. Sometimes we say, well, it's just impossible. I can't, I can't do that. And one of those areas is an area that 80% of the church, not just the bridge, I'm talking about the church, international. One of the things that 80% of people just think is impossible is this idea of tithing, giving 10% of our income to the Lord. So that's impossible. I can't do that. If I give God 10% of my income, how, what am I going to live on? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I? See, but it's a demand. Malachi chapter 3, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. He says, test me in this and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you can't receive. See, God tests us through the demands. The billion-dollar question comes, becomes, who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe that all these demands, 1050 in the New Testament alone, many of them repeat, do I, am I going to believe that they're there in order to refine my faith? They're there in order to help me become more like Christ, to help me become a more impactful child of God, to help me be ready for my eternal reward? Or am I going to believe that the other things of life that culture tells us is so important are more important? See, every time God gives us a command in the Bible, it's a test. All those things that we said faith looks like, God's going to give us opportunities to exercise, to demonstrate our faith in every one of those opportunities, believing when I don't see it, obeying when I don't understand it, giving when I don't have it, thanking God before I get it, trusting God. If I, every one of those, God's going to give us situations and scenarios where those things are going to be tested. Will we do what God says or will we do what we think is beneficial for us, is convenient for us, is possible for us? See, this whole faith thing is really about who we're going to put in the driver's seat, whether we are going to sit in the driver's seat and put a death grip on the steering wheel of our lives, 
or whether we're going to allow God to be in the driver's seat and we're the passenger going along for the ride. A great example, and there are many examples in the Bible of how this kind of plays out in a practical way, is in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Let me read the passage, and I'll give you the historical background. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. All right, let me give you a historical background. All right, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt now. Moses have led them out of Egypt. 400 years of slavery. And now they're wandering in the wilderness. Now, estimates say that there were probably 600,000 men, Jewish men, who left Egypt on the Exodus. That means that there's probably between 2.5 and 3.5 million Jews who are on this Exodus. That takes a lot of food, doesn't it? Now, God works miraculously through this whole 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. How so? He never lets their clothes wear out. He never lets their sandals wear out. Man, I want some of those shoes and clothes, don't you? But, but he works miraculously. Another way is he provides food for them in the sake of manna. Manna is thought to have been a bread-like something that was very sweet. And so he says, here's what I want you to do. You command them to go out every morning and just get enough manna for that day. Now, undoubtedly, and the Bible gives examples of it, some of them didn't obey God. And they went out and they gathered a bunch of it. Because what if I get hungry late at night and I need a snack? Or what if it's not there tomorrow? I better have a bunch. And what happened to those who gathered more than enough for themselves and their family for that day? Remember what happened? It rotted. It became putrid. Absolutely disgustful. Now, but what was the purpose of this demand and of this test? He says, so that I can see whether they will follow my instructions. Now remember, God has the big picture always in mind, not the little picture. Like we look at at every little segment of our life, and you're looking at what's going on in your life right now. But God knows what's going to happen in your life 10 years from now. God knows your whole life. And so he knows that when he finally brings the Israelites into the promised land, They are going to have to have such faith in him that they're going to obey minute instructions and instructions that are definitely inconvenient and some that look impossible. Things like marching around the city of Jericho once a day for six days, being absolutely quiet, and then marching around the seventh day seven times, and then all of a sudden yelling like a bunch of idiots and blowing trumpets and screaming. See, they were going to have to do that is not a logical battle strategy in any time of history. But God knew that that's exactly what they were going to have to do. And we know the result that the walls of Jericho fell down, people ran in, conquered the city. Time after time, we see that happening. But God always put before them some crazy idea. Gideon in the 300. 300 soldiers going up against 40,000. It was crazy odds. But God knew that he was going to continually manifest himself to them through these miraculous events. But in order for him to do that, they had to obey these demands. 
That seemed arduous. That seemed inconvenient. That seemed downright impossible. And God did the same thing over and over in the life of Israel, in the lives of the disciples, the apostles, and he's still doing the same thing in our lives today. See, God wasn't playing games with them. God had a purpose for it. He was exercising their faith. God tests us to see if we will follow his instructions. That's why they're there. Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with what? What? All your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own because it's not going to make sense, folks. God doesn't think like we think, Isaiah 58 says. He doesn't act like we act. That's why he's able to do the miraculous and we're not. Because we limit ourselves. Because our minds are limited in what we think is possible. So he says, he says don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I guarantee you that God can drive our car straighter than we can. He can get us down our life journey in a more profitable, productive way than any of us could possibly get ourselves there. But we've got to trust him, do it his way. If I want to learn to live by faith, I've got to learn to trust God immediately. I've just got to trust him. When he says something, when he puts a demand there, and many of them are general demands that all of us just need to obey, but there'll be times in your life when God puts a specific demand on you. You might be here today, and he might even be calling you to leave your job and your vocation and dedicate yourself to full-time Christian service as a pastor, as a missionary, as, as, a, as a teacher, as whatever. See, he might call you kind of like he did Abraham and say, I, I just want you to leave what you're doing right now because i got a new plan for you. We need to say, okay, God, I'm going to do it. And when we learn a new demand, we need to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to apply it to my life. I'm, I'm just going to start living it. It might be inconvenient for me, but that's okay. I'm going to trust God. I might look at it as impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So God exercises faith through demands. Third, God exercises our faith through delays. Through delays. Oh, my. In, if every prayer that we prayed were answered immediately, just think about that. If every time we prayed, it was like rubbing the, the lamp, and poof, there it is, prayer's answered. If every need that we had was automatically made, I need a job, bing, hello, would you come work for me? If every problem was instantaneously solved, we wouldn't need faith. Why would we need faith? We would live a life of instant gratification, of instant response, of instant reward. Now, here's the deal. Here's why God exercises our faith through delays. Here's why. Because most of us hate to wait. We hate to wait. I mean, it's, it's, God, when is my marriage going to turn around? God, I've been praying about this for a long time. When, when's that going to happen? Or when am I going to meet my Prince Charming? I don't know how many toads you've been kissing. That's who turns into Prince Charming. See? Or, 
God, how long is it going to take until I'm well, God? I've been suffering. I've been sick so long. I'm tired of going to the doctor. I'm tired of taking medicines. God, how long is it going to be? Or, or God, when am I finally going to have a baby? I want a baby so bad, God. Or when am I finally going to find a job? It's getting pretty desperate here, God. I want to, have you been waiting for God to do something in your life? What has, what have you been praying about? What have you been seeking? What do you desire? And you've just want it and you passionately want it and you've passionately take it to God and yet it hasn't happened yet. What's going on in your life possibly right now like that? God may just be exercising your faith. That's what might be happening. He's exercising your faith. I love this passage in Isaiah, Old Testament, chapter 64, verse 4. Isaiah says, ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who what? Those who what? Wait. Wait on him. Isaiah says, you're amazing, God. He says, no eye has ever seen a God like you. No ear has ever heard about a God like you. No one has even perceived of a God like you who actually acts on behalf of those who wait on you, who wait on your time, who wait on your response, who have faith in you. Write this down. If I am waiting in faith, God is working. Know that. that, that that's true. If I am waiting in faith, God is working. See, that's what we need to remind ourselves as we're waiting for whatever it is we're waiting for. That if I will do that in faith, if I will take that to the Lord and say, God, I don't know when you're going to answer this. I don't know how you're going to answer it. And there's even a possibility you're not going to answer it. In that case, I'm just going to trust you. But I'm not going to get all upset about it. I'm not going to pout about it. I'm not going to get depressed about it. I'm not going to get angry about it. God, I have put it in your hands. You are the master of my life. My times are in your hands. You are driving my life car. And God, it's in your hands. That's where I'm going to leave it. Then you can have absolute assurance of this. God is working. God's working behind the scenes. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In other words, it says, If you wait on the Lord time and time again, you're going to see his wisdom. And that's going to energize you. I remember that many years ago, I went back to seminary because I had to have an MDiv, a Master of Divinity, in order to become a chaplain in the armed services. And that was really my whole motivation. I really didn't want the education. I wanted the degree. And so I, I, I worked crazy jobs, and I loaded trucks from, from 7 o'clock at night to 3 o'clock in the morning. I, I did all kinds of things to, to accomplish this MDiv. And so finally I did it, and I applied for the chaplaincy. And in the meantime, I'd been volunteering at, at, at Naval Air Station Dallas and, and helping there and doing all these kinds of things. And, 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 and so I put my application in. 
And all of a sudden, I was sitting actually on OJT, on-the-job training, in an office at Naval Air Station Dallas, when a chaplain of the, the recruiting district came in, and he said, I want to talk to you. And he says, you're not coming on active duty right now. I said, why? And he says, well, it's been perceived that because you're doing all this stuff and you're serving and all this stuff that you just think you're going to get it automatically, so they're going to teach you a lesson. <laughs> what? I was doing all those things because they asked me to do them. They solicited. They recruited me to do them. I was showing my, my dedication. My, this is, well, you're not coming on. So I'm done with college. I have to get out of my house. I've got no job. I'm going, God, what is going on? Well, this pastor mentor friend of mine who I just officiated over, he called me back to the church and had me work there. And I'll, let me tell you what happened. Shortly after I got back there, he was diagnosed with colon cancer and was going to have to have surgery. And so he entrusted the church to me because he knew that my aspirations were not to usurp his authority and that he knew that, that I, I would love him and I would keep presenting him and I, I would lift him up and lead the congregation to pray for him over this sustained period of illness. And so I did that, and it was several months. Get this, do you know? That the week after he was well enough to come back and assume his duties at the church, I got a call from the military saying, we're bringing you on active duty in one month. See, God had a plan the whole time. God needed me someplace else to do something before he would give me what I wanted. And I'll tell you, when that happened, I wept. I wept before the Lord. And I, 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 I cried before the Lord for a couple of reasons. One, I was so ashamed of how I'd reacted to it. And then I wept because seeing God's plan was so encouraging to me. And I, and I thought, God, my times really are in your hands. And you really got this whole thing wired, God. And you know exactly what you're doing. Amen. See? God exercises our faith through delays. But when we act in faith during those delays, he's always going to renew our strength. We'll be so much more faithful. We'll have so much more confidence in God after we come through that test than we did before. And I'll bet you can think of times in your life where that same kind of thing played out in your life. Finally, God exercises our faith through dollars. Now, I'm not going to tell you this because I'm trying to manipulate you to give more. I'm very upright. If you're a guest here, people here at the bridge know that I'm very upright about the fact that we have to support the ministry. We have to pay the light bills. We have to, we have to give. Those who come here every week regularly, we need to support the ministry because the ministry has to operate on, on funds. But that's not what I'm doing here. My motivation is this. I'm trying to get you ready for your eternal arrival. And one of the big areas that Jesus taught about was this idea that God tests us. He exercises our faith with dollars. God uses money as a test of our faith. Boy, it's funny. I see a lot of you squirming right now. This, this is uneasy, isn't it? It really is. And believe me, I, I sat where you sat and was squirming too. 
What I do with my money determines how much God can bless my life right now, in this life. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, now he's talking about this life. Remember what God said in Malachi chapter 3? He, 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 said, he said, test me in this. Bring the whole tithe at 10% into the storehouse and see if I won't open the windows and pour out a blessing on you you can't hold. So see, he says, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You've also seen scriptures in the Bible says that be not, be not deceived, God is not mocked whatsoever a man sows that he'll also reap. See? And so over and over again, it talks about this over and over and over again. So God can only bless me in this life according to my faithfulness in using my finances for him and his cause. But even more, and that's what we're really talking about overall in this series, is what I do with my money determines how much God can eternally reward me. This plays a big part in it. Jesus talked a lot about this. One place he talked about was in Luke 16, 11. He says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly, worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Another way you can interpret that is, who will trust you with eternal riches? If you, if you, if you couldn't do it here, with these little things called dollars and cents, how can God justifiably lavish eternal rewards on you, true riches that last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And again, Jesus, through many parables, talks about this over and over and over and over and over again. So therefore, we know that it's a big part of this bigger picture of Hebrews chapter eleven six. 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. He exercises our faith through our dollars. One of the hardest for so many, for 80% of the church has a hard time. 20% get this. But let me tell you, the 20% who get it never look back. They never look back because they understand that it's really true. Give and it will be given to you. Since I started tithing, trust me in this, God has made my 90% that I keep go so much further than I used to be able to make my 100% go. So much further than and I don't even know the things that he's prevented from happening because of my faithfulness. So, how does God exercise our faith? Through our difficulties, through demands, through delays, and through dollars. In which of these areas is God trying to exercise your faith right now? How's he trying to exercise your faith? Maybe it's difficulties. You've got some, some real challenges going on in your life right now. Well, remember what Peter said? He said, well, don't think that's strange. Don't, think, don't fall apart and say, what's happening? What's going on, God? What? You know, he said, don't think that's strange. That's how it works. Jesus said it himself. He said, if you're going to be one of my disciples, you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus was very honest about that. So maybe you've got some difficulties going on in your life right now. Well, that's not by accident. God may be allowing that to happen so that he can exercise your faith, so that he can teach you and he can show you something about himself that you've not learned yet. Maybe it's through some demand. God's laid something on your heart. Maybe it's to serve in a ministry. 
Maybe, like I said, it's even more radical that, and God's been talking to you about leaving whatever vocation you're in now and getting get trained and going on to be a, a, a pastor, an associate pastor, a missionary, a teacher in a Bible college or whatever. Or, or maybe he's really challenging. He's been talking to you about it. And you, man, you, God, you're talking to the wrong woman. You're talking to the wrong man. Maybe it's through some other demand. Maybe it's through forgiving somebody who you just don't want to forgive. Maybe it's in loving somebody who really is your enemy. Someone at work who just is obnoxious, who's a cutthroat. See, maybe it's through delays. And you've been praying sincerely, and you've been praying passionately, God. I want this, I need this. And you haven't received an answer. It just might be God exercising your faith. But they who wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. God exercised faith through difficulties, demands, delays, and dollars. That's all part of building a daring faith. Where's God speaking to you this morning? Remember Jude? Jude said, build for yourselves up this most holy faith. So right now, last challenge I left you with is to look at those six areas of what faith is and see where you're acting in faith and where you're not. My challenge this week to you is to take these areas, these areas of faith, and ask and prayerfully seek God. Is he exercising your faith through difficulties right now? Is he doing it through some demand, something he's challenging you to do that you're uncomfortable with, you don't want to do? through delays, or maybe even through dollars, through your giving. Trust God. Without faith, it's what? Impossible to believe God. Let's bow our heads. Ushers are going to come forward in just a moment. We're going to receive our gifts, a a chance to display our, our faith with dollars. Father, we thank you so much for your love and we God, we thank you that you're so honest with us. That you don't blue sky this, this, this life with us. That, that you, you tell us it, it, it's going to have challenges. Just because we put our faith in you doesn't mean that from that day on, life is going to be perfect. Life is not going to be filled with challenges and trials and setbacks and, and, and demands and delays and, and all that stuff. Lord, you, you've been very honest and told us just the opposite. So God, give us this power, this desire to learn and to have this daring faith. Dare to believe you. Dare to live life differently. Dare to take risks that you can reward. We'll glorify you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.